You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lord, how are we doing, Embassy? Great, great. Um, It's good to be with you. Uh, My name is Chris Cook. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, If you are a guest, welcome. Super glad you're here uh, and super excited about what, um, man, what the summer is going to be, a summer in the Psalms. And like Maria said, my, my heart and desire for you is that ultimately that you move from engaging God as a concept that you think you can control to God as a personal being that wants to know you and went to great lengths to make that so. And so the Psalms will help us do that. Uh, and I really would challenge you um, to think about what it would look like if you got to August 15th and you actually read all 150 Psalms. If that became a daily discipline in your life uh, to where it's as normal as you brushing your teeth. Right? You know how like, well, hopefully this is your experience, but if you forget to brush your teeth in the morning and you're like just like way in it at work and then you kind of just have this like kind of moment of like, oh, that's embarrassing and disgusting and I I can't wait till lunch because, yeah, that just doesn't taste good. I want that to be your reaction as a person, as a a Christian especially, um, if, uh, if you don't get time to renew your mind and your heart in the Word of God. You don't get time to let Him speak what's loud and what's true over you before you start your day. And so uh, hopefully this summer is a great um, habit-setting summer for you. Um, Before we get into Psalm 1, I do want to speak to the elephant in the room, uh, so to speak, um, and just the brokenness that so many of us have uh, just seen, either through scrolling or personally uh, experienced and heard through phone calls in the last week and a half. Um, for me, uh, the last week and a half has poured. You know, it's one of those weeks that when it rains, it pours, and, and you just get bad news after bad news after bad news. Um, that's, that's been my experience. I'm sure that's been uh, some of your experiences in here. Um, and we're all coming from different places, and so uh, for some of you, this, this may not hit close to home at all, and some of you, um, this is really heavy. Um, I'm talking about the shootings in New York Um, and just the the pure evil that, again, we saw on our screens. I'm talking about the shootings in Texas. I'm talking about um, the executive committee report that was uh, released about the SBC and just the blatant disregard for abuse um, by leaders in the church. Um, And I'm talking most recently about the shootings in Ames, Iowa, our sending church, Um, people that we know, that we love, Uh, We're gathering for Salt Company, and 10 minutes before, um, just pure evil um, showed itself. And two girls, Vivian and Eden, um, and their perpetrator are no longer here. It's broken, this world we live in. It's it's horribly, horribly broken. And I think it's it's appropriate for us to, one, acknowledge it, um, 
And not just look out the window at the brokenness around us, but uh, challenge us as a church, in a sense, to not stop there, not stop where the world stops. The world stops at circumstance. The world stops at um, the outcomes of the brokenness that it sees. It has no answer for the source. But we know better, don't we? Right? We know better that at the source is human sin, and it's horrific, and it's terrible, and God's done something about it. And so I don't want to overplay on what we're doing here at Embassy um, and planting an outpost of the kingdom of heaven next to this campus in this city. But what the hell of this world needs is a little more heaven. I truly believe that with all my heart. And so I think in times like this, we can grasp for what can I do. And, and yes, there are things you can do, man. There's GoFundMes you can give to. There's, there's numbers you can call of people because there's ripple effects, right, to the brokenness. And, and you can counsel. You can show up on Wednesday or Thursday at the funerals eight hours away in Ames, Iowa, and just weep with those who are weeping. But all of us, all of us can look in the mirror, all of us can see the seeds of sin latent in our hearts, and if unchecked, will grow and wreak a lot of pain, havoc, and destruction in this world, in our own lives and the lives of those around us. Like, we need the gospel every day. Christians know that better than anybody. We need to sow that deep into our hearts. We need to not just look out the mirror and go, what's wrong, and look for political answers to to stuff that, yes, is, is political problems, but we know it's, it's bigger than that. It's more nuanced than that. It's spiritual problems. And you living your life as an ambassador of the kingdom in this city, on that campus, you preaching the gospel, that makes a difference. And if it doesn't, doesn't what are we doing? Why are we gathering? Again, I'm not trying to oversell what we're doing here, but I don't want to undersell it either, that what we're doing my living as salt and light in this city and on that campus makes a difference. And so I pray that we would live brightly, that we'd live loud. Um, man, hard right turn, huh? Um, I am uh, admittedly really sad this morning. Um, I'm really sad. And so uh, my heart is heavy. I think appropriately so. People I love, especially um, in Ames, um, just are in a lot of suffering. You know, and as I, I wrote my notes to, to speak this morning, <laughs> I wrote pages and pages of notes to speak to brokenness that hit home to me because I'm an American, right? And it's happening in my country, or because I'm a Christian or an evangelical, if you will, even though that term's been co-opted, and it's happening in the churches I affiliate with, but now it's happening to friends that I get on the phone with who are just weeping because they saw just horrific things. They experienced sin unbridled. And so um, I don't know what you're gonna get. Um, I don't know what we're gonna get, but I do know that uh, where I wanna end up in moments like this is uh, just in the throne room of the Lord. Uh, it's looking at God. It's, it's going to him for answers. And so um, if you don't have your Bible open, look at me at Psalm 1. Um, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to, um, I'd like to introduce kind of the series and where we're going for the next two months. 
um, kind of give us a framework, maybe a shelf or two uh, to put things on, and then, um, and then lead us into someone which I think um, in so many ways is super pertinent to where we're at. Um, it's going to give us one of two ways. It's going to give us an either or, not a both and. And ultimately, um, we're either moving towards righteousness or towards wickedness. We're either moving towards God or away from him. And there's only, there's only one or the other. It's a two-lane highway. And so my hope is that we would have ears to hear. So let me pray for us, and then I'll, um, I'll kind of jump us into the sermon series. Heavenly Father, again, admittedly, I am just, um, I'm, I'm sad. And I just thank you for the truths of the songs we just sung. The fact that you have put your spirit within us as our comforter, our counselor. Lord, you know we need counsel right now. You know we need comfort. We are so aware of the brokenness around us, and, and so often we don't know what to do. And so I just pray that it wouldn't stay out there. It wouldn't stay conceptual or ethereal, but um, in the most pertinent and real way that um, we would understand light from darkness, truth from error, righteousness from unrighteousness, goodness from wickedness, and we would choose what is good, what is righteous, what is true. And we'd walk in the light, and I pray that your word would give us guidance and counsel, and I pray that ultimately it'd point us not to our own righteousness, but to the righteous one, the only righteous one. Not to the law, but the one who fulfilled the law, and would our hearts be comforted with the gospel. So I pray these things in his name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, like Maria said, we're going vertical. Um, Athanasius is a church father, and this is what he said about the Psalms, and I, I love this in my, in my preparation, um, the couple months leading up to this, but he says, most scriptures speak to us while the Psalms speak for us. And my hope is that as we corporately, as we collectively, as, a, as an embassy community gather and open the word of God together, that, um, that these words are just sink, sink deep down, deep into you, right? Deep into your soul. Um, but, but not just on Sundays, but if you're renewing yourself in the Word of God, um, that Psalms gets in you to where it works itself out of you, um, that it gives you language to express the realities of life, the things you feel deeply, you just don't have words for. Um, man, Psalms has a way of asking the questions we want to ask in, a, in, in the most beautiful way, providing some answers for things we need answers for, and if not, just empathizing with where we're at. And so um, I, I know it will be a, a, really, um, a really beautiful, helpful summer. Um, I ultimately want Psalms to give you, to give me a practical liturgy for your life, all right? Language to understand who God is and who you are in light of him. Um, I want you to think of Psalms as, um, man, I'm a product of the, the 90s and early 2000s, so this is gonna kind of date me. Um, I want you to think of it like a burned CD, Anyone burn CDs in here? I'm getting laughed at a little bit. Um, you know, this is what I would do um, when I um, found my heart fluttering for a female and um, didn't have words to express my affections. I would, um, would kind of lay upside down on my bed and listen to some Casey and JoJo songs, <laughs> some Brian McKnight, and I would just go, yes, yes, that's what I want to say. I just don't, I don't, I can't say that, so... I did what every 15-year-old would do. I would burn a CD, and I would write in it on Sharpie, and I'd put the name of the girl and just say, listen to this. 
right? And you're kind of hedging your bets there because like you don't want to say too much because if she doesn't like the songs, isn't vibing them, stuff like that, it's like really creepy. But if she is, you want to leave it open-ended, like I mean exactly that. Like whatever you're feeling, yes. If it's good, yes. Um, in a way, that's, that's what the Psalms are. Um, they're songs, um, but, but not just that. They, they, they collectively give us a broader picture. They give us a, a, a clearer idea. And so um, there's benefit in listening to the whole album, if you will. Um, if not songs, if not a burn CD, they're a photo album, okay? As you flip through the Psalms, you're gonna see snapshots and pictures of God and his people, okay? And the hope is that you flip through them enough that you actually see the big picture, not just the little picture, right? That it's not just a yearbook for you that you're looking for one picture of yourself and vainly thinking that it's about you, but there's a greater, grander theme and it takes looking at all the pictures to see it. Or maybe to give you another analogy, if you've been to Barcelona, Spain and you've seen the La Sagrada Familia, this great basilica, that five architects and 15 builders have worked on for over a century. Still not finished. Now the analogy breaks down there because the Psalms are finished, but if you just look at one piece of it, you don't see the grand picture and who it's pointing to, especially if you approach it and you just see the sign, welcome guest, and you think it's about you. You need to step back and see the whole array, the whole grandeur of it, and go, man, this is a book about God. That's going to point us to who he is and who we are in light of him and how to relate to him. So again, I really do hope that um, the Psalms give us a practical liturgy, give you a practical liturgy for life. So this is, um, this is Psalm 1. This is the introduction to all 150, okay, written by different authors, different times, 150 of them, most of them ascribed to David. And... This one's first for a reason. It's the Psalm of Psalms, okay? Um, and I, I want to give kind of a personal story that will illustrate what Psalm 1, I think, tells us. Um, I'm the father of three daughters, uh, three beautiful daughters. We're actually going to Disney World tomorrow, and so I'm going to get to see the princesses. I'm very excited. I'm actually more excited to watch my daughters see the princesses, um, get to see the princesses, see the princesses, um, which is sweet. But... Um, I don't like 7.30 to 8.30 in my house. It's called bedtime. I hate it. It's not my best self. It's actually my worst self. If you want to see the worst of, of Critter, come over between 7.30 and 8.30. Because, like, I don't exist. I speak to, especially my six- and eight-year-old, and um, it's like I'm, I'm a ghost, you know, I'm Casper. I don't know. They just don't hear me, right? So, so me telling my six-year-old and my eight-year-old, go upstairs, go brush your teeth, go get ready for bed, I have to say that like 15 times. And like times 16, like my head explodes. And I scream, and then Allison comes and tells me like, hey, this is how you can be a better father. And we go through that. And so we have our little tiff. It's great. It's delightful. Um, I usually will tell my kids after about 15 times of telling them, I need you to get ready for bed. Um, I'll say something like this. This is going to go one of two ways. 
I don't know if you've ever <laughs> got that statement from a parent. Um, you're either going to say, yes, dad. You're going to listen. You're going to obey. You're going to brush your teeth. You're going to get ready for bed. Or you're going to have a consequence. It's going to go one of two ways, okay? And the reason I can say that is because um, I exist and I have authority, all right? I, I, if I don't exist, which is what my kids think a lot of times, and I don't have authority, um, it can go a lot of different ways. And so my second, I call her cartwheel and Caroline, she does like 50 cartwheels an hour. That's just what she does. And so I tell her to go to bed and somehow she does this, but doesn't end up in the bathroom. And again, it's like I'm a concept. Uh, I'm not a real authority father figure in her life. And so um, to her, yeah, whatever, you know. But to me, as the father, you're either moving closer to my ask and obeying me or you're moving further, right? You're either walking one way or the other. It is a two-lane highway for me. I have spoken. I would like you to listen and obey. And I think sometimes this is how we, we approach life. Um, we don't really listen um, to our Heavenly Father. We don't really give Him credence. We make Him say it 15 times. In a lot of things in life, we cartwheel around. Um, and that would be great if He was a concept. And in our pluralistic, really universalistic um, culture, in the postmodern culture that we swim in, the idea of Psalm 1 is really offensive. That there's one of two ways that it's an either or, not a both and, that you're either moving towards righteousness or towards wickedness, that is a two-lane highway, that you're moving one direction on, this thing called life, and that the direction you're going has a destination, right? That, that, that's really like offensive. It seems narrow-minded for us moderns. But that's how the Psalms opens this entire array of how we relate to God. There is something as concrete as good and evil, as righteousness and wickedness, as truth and lie. And so what we're going to get here in Psalm 1 is, is a picture, a really poignant picture of what it means to go the direction of the righteous versus the direction of the wicked and what their eventual destinations are, all right? The direction of the righteous, the direction of the wicked, and their eventual destinations. And so... Let me read again for us the first three verses, and I just want to point a few things out for us. How happy is, or depending on your translation, it may say, blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Now, what we're going to get here uh, in this movement is really clear. Um, what the righteous doesn't do, what the righteous does do, and what the righteous reaps the benefit of. Okay, it's a warning. It's a, a general proverb set in the first part of the Psalms. But generally, um, righteous people, they don't get caught in the downward spiral of sin. So I just want to point a few things out for us, okay, um, because it really, really matters. Blessed is the one, and look how it cascades downward, spirals downward, who does not walk, stand, sit. And then wicked sinners and mockers. All of this, um, one commentary says, is a mini exposition of progressive depravity. War the warning is to not start the downward spiral, 
to ultimately avoid the counsel of the ungodly. Now, if you're walking with Jesus, and you have been for any length of time, um, you've seen this play out, right? You've given thought and credence, and I say this a lot or have um, because I was a college pastor for about a decade, um, but I would tell this to 18 to 23-year-olds all the time, and you've seen this if, if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, but I tell the 18 to 23-year-olds, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? The counsel we keep matters, the people that we call our influencers matters. Not just your friends, right? But who you follow on social media. Are you aware of where you're walking, where you're standing, or where you're sitting? Because the righteous one, those who are righteous, they, they are conscientious of who they're around. They're conscientious of the company they keep. This is, again, it's not saying, man... Don't be around sinners. We, every single person here is a recovering sinner. Amen? Thank God for the gospel. Amen? But the righteous are, are conscientious of who they're allowing to influence them. Okay? Now look at verse 2. It says, instead, instead, this is what the righteous do do. They delight in the Lord's instruction. The righteous one meditates on it day and night. Now, I, I want you to, to not miss um, that word delight. It's key here, okay? Um, ultimately, right attitude leads to right action, but not the other way around. And so what we're talking about here is desire. Um, famous rom-com, and I'm, again, I'm going to date myself. I, I feel like this is early 2000s, but anyone seen The Breakup? Uh, Vince Vaughn, right? Jennifer Aniston? I think so, something like that. Anyway, there's a classic scene. If you haven't seen, I'm sure you've, you've probably seen the memes. Um, you know, what were we watching? Uh, me and Allison were watching Anchorman. Um, not a great movie. Don't recommend it. Um, but we were watching Anchorman the other day, and Allison was like, is this where all this comes from? I see all this on TikTok. And I'm like, yes, it all comes from here. Right? So you may not have seen the movie, but you may have seen the references. But there's a famous fight in the breakup um, about lemons. Okay? But it's not about lemons. Um, it's about... Um, conflict and, and, and whatnot, just classic conflict in a relationship. And, and ultimately, Jennifer Aniston's character looks at Vince Vaughn's character, um, talking to him about doing the dishes, and he's trying to play video games, and she's cleaning up after kind of a night of hosting, okay? And um, she tells him, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes, right? And, and his classic response is, who wants to do the dishes, and if you haven't seen the movie, it's a good one to watch. It's, it's, it's actually kind of depressing because it doesn't end great. Um, but the point is, um, he's getting at the idea of desire. Like, no one desires to do the dishes. But what she ultimately wants from him as someone who loves her is that he would desire to do it and do it without asking. Okay? And so what, what the psalm isn't pointing to here is just rote um, duty. Okay? Where it's like, man, if I have my quiet time, then I'm going to like have it all together. It's getting at something far deeper than action. It's getting at attitude. It's getting at wanting to want. And so we got to start asking the question, where's that want come from? Where's that desire come from? Which we'll circle back to. But the righteous one delights in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. You know, the, the, the imagery here is he chews the cud. Um, which is kind of like a, if you're a farmer, you get that. If you're not, 
I don't know what I think, maybe a baseball player, you know, with a chaw, something like that. Um, I guess I can go there. That works. That was off the cuff. I don't know if that works, but there it is. Um, And then look at verse 3. This is ultimately what the righteous is like. He's likened to a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. And ultimately, whatever he does prospers, okay? So this is the path of the righteous. The way of the righteous leads to prosperity, and the righteous is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season and leaf does not wither. Now let me unpack the imagery because this is really important, and um, I I should have said this earlier. Raise your hand if, if like, I guess it would be freshman English, was your favorite class when you were in high school. Yeah, no one. Um, poetry, right? This is what we're getting into, and every guy's like, yeah, yeah, this is terrible. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? And so I want us to grasp the imagery that the psalmist is giving us here. But ultimately, the righteous are like trees planted besides flowing streams of water, and they're fruitful, okay? And so here's the picture. Um, what is fruit? What is fruit? Fruit ultimately is excess life, okay? A, 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 a tree that bears fruit is using its nourishment and applying its nourishment in order, okay? First to sustain its life, then to grow its life, then to give excess life. Either other little apple trees, okay, or not just excess life in the sense of other trees, but the squirrels, if you will, are humans that will come pick the apple tree, right? But a, a fruitful tree has enough nourishment that it's, it's kind of taking care of things in order. The righteous are fruitful. They have enough nourishment in their walk with the Lord that their life isn't only sustained, their life isn't only growing, but it's, it's beautiful flourishing, right? We get the imagery. We get the, we get the picture, okay? And its roots are near streams of living water, okay? Flowing streams, actually. And it's planted there intentionally. The picture here is of someone who understands that the source of life comes from God himself. And regardless of the outer circumstances that are going on in life, regardless of how hard this week is, regardless if it's a season of mourning or a season of rejoicing, they're still flourishing. Do you know anybody like that? Does anyone come to mind? When you think about saints in your life, maybe a few steps ahead, that are following Jesus, do you know any great oak trees? People that you watch walk through suffering and struggle, people not in season, but still flourishing. Right? This is, this is the picture of righteousness. This is the difference between the blessed life and then ultimately what we're going to see in the life that leads to ruin. So that's the way of the godly. What about the way of the ungodly, the wicked? Look at verse 4. Verse 4, it says, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now, what is chaff? We got any farmers in here? I'll give you the biblical imagery, okay? Um, Chaff um, is kind of like the the husk around the kernel. So if it's wheat, okay? Um, Thank you, John. If it's wheat, 
Um, in, in this, this biblical kind of ancient agrarian picture, it would be uh, wheat being gathered, um, thrown onto the threshing floor, being separated and thrown up, and the chaff is going high in the air because it's the husk, it's the, it's the, um, the casing, if you will, and the wind's just blowing it away, right? The threshing floors are usually on kind of higher peaks where wind is coming over the top of it, and then the heavier kernel would fall, right? So there's a separation, and the wicked are being compared to chaff. <laughs> That's not a great picture, all right? The righteous to oaks that bear fruit, if you will, that are planted by streams of water that are vibrant and growing and living in the wicked like chaff that the wind blows away. Or, or let me give a more modern-day Iowan or Indiana example. If you go to northern Indiana, not here in the south as much, we have some cornfields, but but I want you to picture harvest time. I want you to picture a, a huge combine. And I actually got a chance to like ride in a combine when I was in Iowa. But there's just some things. One of the things I live by in my life is when in Rome, um, just do as the Romans do. Anyway, um, so anyway, I, I want to do local things. And I was in Iowa, and like what's more local than like riding in a combine? Am I right? Has anyone ever ridden in a combine? We got some farmers in here. Wow, I'm not impressing anyone. Okay, well... It's really impressive. It's really cool. Um, I really wanted to ride in a combine. I was like, I want to check this out. I want a picture, huge green machine riding through the fields, and there's a separating effect that's happening. Okay? The kernels are going, the corn kernels are going in the back of the combine. They're ultimately being shot out of that arm into this truck. It's a really impressive operation. And the chaff is just being shredded up and trampled over by the tires. Right? Pretty stark picture, okay? Um, we'll go with grass cutting. Maybe we'll go a little closer. Some guys are like, oh, of course. Of course I cut my grass. That's offensive. You'd even ask that question. Um, one of my goals in life is actually to, to justify um, owning a zero turn. You know, I, I can't do that right now. I can't drop $7,000 for like, like 12 minutes of grass cutting. But if I get enough acreage, I'm just like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then I can, I can have a zero turn. So right now I'm doing Honda self-propelled, um, pushing that thing. Love it. But, but I, I cut my grass on Friday, every Friday. Um, and grass clippings are shooting out the side, right? This is chaff. The wind is blowing it away. You see the imagery? You see the stark contrast between what the Bible says is the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, that the wicked are like grass clippings, unrooted, unfruitful, and short-lived. The righteous are like grand oaks, established, flourishing, and leaving a legacy for decades. And it doesn't always seem that way, does it? Right? In, in, in a point of pain, when you're going, man, has evil triumphed and won? Because there's dead bodies laying in a parking lot of a place of worship. When, when you're challenged with walking, standing, or sitting in the way the wicked or sinners or mockers, and it seems like, man, this is just way easier to kind of go along with it, to not make a scuff about it in this business, to not raise a flag and go, man, that's unethical, that's unjust, I just can't do it. Right? When we look out at the world, all we see at times, and it, it's, it's sad, is sin succeeding. 
But the ultimate end, the ultimate end is not prosperity for the wicked. It's short-lived and it's ruinous, right? This is a warning. This is a warning to all of us. And I want us to see where it ultimately goes. Look at verse six. This is what it says. It says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. This is what I'm talking about um, is so offensive to us that, that life actually has, or actually is framed up as a two-way highway. So the question for us is like, what direction are you traveling? Where are you headed? Are you moving towards greater and greater righteousness? Are you moving towards wickedness? We, we have this idea that almost life, again, is like, it's like we're in a Jeep in a field and we're just driving towards the horizon line. And if we get there, whatever, but like life is just the means. We don't even know if there's an end. Like our modern secular mind, we're, we're not even concerned with it. But we're so certain almost that on the other side of death, there's nothing. How do we know? How do you know? How can you make such a cosmological claim? The picture that Psalm 1 gives us is on the other side of death is judgment for the life that we live. And that every single person is accountable for their actions. And man, with my whole heart do I believe that. When I see wickedness winning, do I want that to be true? Absolutely. Man, but I believe it will be. What kind of nonsensical, pointless life are we living if evil isn't even called evil and it just runs rampant? If wickedness wins the day, if there's no accountability whatsoever for anyone or any action, that's a life of futility. It's a life of despair. That's not the picture that the Psalms give us. Ultimately, the Psalms tell us that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Now, I, I, wanna, I wanna draw our attention. One of the more powerful um, kind of statements in the New Testament is in Acts 17, and I just wanna read this verse. This is the Apostle Paul. As he is preaching the gospel, um, and he's pointing back to the cross and the resurrection. Right? He's preaching the gospel in Athens, and this is what he says about, about Jesus and about um, ultimately either walking towards greater righteousness or the righteous one or wickedness. He says this to his audience, and I think it's such a powerful uh, challenge uh, for us to think about wickedness and righteousness as, a, as an either or, not a both and. Acts 17, 30 through 31, Paul says, God has overlooked the times of ignorance. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn from wickedness, that's what repentance is, it's an about face, and to turn to righteousness. Why? Because he set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, and he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Right, he's talking about Jesus. He's going, man, if God could in any way, shape, or form give you or me proof that judgment day is coming and a righteous judge will judge all people, 
Don't you think the resurrection has something to say about it? God brought a dead man back to life so that we can't just sit there in ambiguity. We, we, we don't have to. And we can know, man, God's going to deal with unrighteousness. He's going to deal with wickedness. And he's going to deal with it by the only righteous one. All right, so if there's one of two ways, it's the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, ultimately, we want to be righteous, right? We want to be oaks. We don't want to be chaff. How do we get there? Where do we go from there? Well, I read Acts because ultimately I think that brings into real focus what Psalm 1 and even Psalm 2 kind of shows us vaguely, okay? It points not to just the righteous, but the righteous one. And so let me draw your attention to Psalm 2 real quick. Most um, commentators, they talk about Psalm 1 being the introductory psalm, okay, the psalm of psalms. But most of them will actually tie Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together because the tenor and the tone of these two psalms is different, all right? And Psalm 2, in a way, is almost a zoomed-out cosmological picture of what Psalm 2, or excuse me, Psalm 1 is talking about in a very personal and intimate way. And this is what I was trying to draw our attention to as we, we look at the psalms as kind of a picture book, okay, or songs on your burn CD. Like, don't just listen to one. Don't just read one. You got to look at a lot of them to get the bigger picture. Psalm 2 zooms out and, see, and, and gives us a broader picture of righteousness and wickedness. And it talks about one to come. Look at verse 7. Or verse 6, I'll start with. It says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Who is this this person that Psalm 2 is looking at. Who's this righteous one to come? Well, it's who, Saul, uh, excuse me, it's who Paul was pointing back to. It's Jesus. It's the righteous one who came, the son of God, the son of man, and lived righteously to make wicked sinners righteous. Look at verse 12. Pay homage or kiss the son or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are blessed. All who take refuge in him are blessed. Ultimately, what I, what I want us to, to understand and, and leave with is that God's going to deal with wickedness and righteousness in a very finite, very concrete way. And ultimately, the wicked and the wicked's purposes and ways and pathways are going to be completely done away with. But we have to ask the question, where does our righteousness come from? Because the last thing I want to do is is leave us thinking that, man, we can just start reading our Bible a a little more to be a little bit better and not be reminded that all of Scripture is about the righteous one who made us righteous. Right? We know the gospel as Christians. We know that, that the only righteous one came and, and lived a righteous life, yet he gave up his life as a kernel would fall to the ground. And he was treated like chaff so that you and I could become oaks. Right? This is the gospel. That the righteous one who, who we're going to stand before one day like Paul talks about and who's going to judge the nations and judge us 
The just judge paid our penalty on that cross 2,000 years ago. And so the question I really want us to end with is not, man, how do I be more righteous? What can I do? But what has God done to make me righteous, to call me to repentance, to, to, to save me from my path of wickedness, to turn me around? And what he's done is nothing less than give his son for you and for me. I'm going to read verse 12 again in Psalm 2, Psalm 2 chapter, or excuse me, uh, Psalm 2, uh, verse 12. Pay homage to the Son, or he'll be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. All who take refuge in him are blessed. The question I want to leave us with is, do you honor the Son? Do you kiss the Son? Do you pay homage to the Son? It's only when you really start seeing the gospel come into full view that you'll be able to delight in the law and meditate on it day and night because you know the lawgiver. And you know that he didn't just set the bar up here and say, good luck, but he stepped over it for you and for me. That he was treated like chaff so that we, we could become oaks of righteousness. So my hope, Embassy, uh, as we close out, the band comes forward is that we take Psalm 1 as a warning, um, absolutely a warning. Uh, we take it as an encouragement, but ultimately we take it as a, an impetus to draw near to the Lord, draw near to Jesus, draw near to the one who makes us righteous, the law fulfiller, and that we be changed because of it. And I really, really pray uh, that this summer, uh, as we read the Psalms, man, we wouldn't miss him in it because he's all threaded throughout it. So let me pray for us. Let me pray that we would um, we'd honor the righteous one and we'd walk in a way that leads to flourishing and prosperity. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for um, just, yeah, the truth that you're not going to allow wickedness to win the day, that you're not gonna allow evil to prevail, that... Um, you bring things into focus that, that there is light and darkness and good and evil and truth and error. And it's not just brokenness around us that we have no answer for, no words to put to, no framework to understand. But we're quite aware of the seeds of rebellion that, that lie in our heart. And so we just cling to the righteous one. We kiss the sun, we pay homage, and we give honor to the one that is alluded to in the very next psalm. And I pray that, um, man, just the gospel truth, the gospel truth that he died in our place, the judge was judged on our behalf, and that would seep deep in our hearts and it would change us, that it would make us men and women that flourish, that bear fruit in our lives, that are such a blessing to the world around us, that leave a legacy. So we love you, we praise you, we thank you for Jesus, and we ask these things in his name and authority. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.